Oh, if you wonder what I'm doing, I'm not on Facebook. This is a podcast app where we get the recordings. So uh, when you go on our website, it uh, this is where that comes from. So I think we got this technology going. Amen. I don't know about you. I need the presence of the Lord. Amen. I think I got three different titles from my message this morning. And uh, I had one. Do we really get it? (laughs) Do we really get it? Then I thought, well, maybe I could title it Hard to Believe. Or I could title it Slow of Heart. But whatever I'm going to make this title, I just know that God's got something that He wants to stir inside of us this morning. Open your Bibles, if you want to, to Luke chapter 20. Well, before you open your Bible, hold your Bible up. We need to do this. Say, Pastor, why do you do that? Because if we're not careful, we walk around all week long going... Oh, man, things are so bad. Boy, I wish things were better. I wish things would work out better. Nothing works out the way I want it to. If I didn't have bad luck, I wouldn't have any luck. I don't believe in luck. I believe in God's blessing. So say this out loud with me. This is my Bible. It's God's holy word. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. So I boldly confess, my mind is renewed, my body is healed, I'm saved by God's grace, and live by His Spirit. Woo, turn around and tell somebody, you did good. Amen. Praise God. In Luke, the 24th chapter, and I don't remember how many of these verses that I've actually got up there, back there for, for you to read off of the overhead, but... I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. Uh, The King James is what I've memorized a long time ago, but I just like the way that the New Living reads this. And I'm in Luke, the 24th chapter. I'm going to read from verse 13 to 27. And I mean, in, in the New Living Translation, it's really to three paragraphs, so it's really not that much. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. <laughs> By the way, you know Emmaus means hot springs? That's just, doesn't have a thing to do with anything except just kind of made me wonder. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. You know, I, I think sometimes we don't even realize when the Lord's there. I could park on that for a little while. As you're walking along in your life, how often... Does the Lord either send somebody or the Lord's right there and we just don't even realize it? Hmm. 
Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there the last few days. What things, Jesus asked. The things, that have ha <clears throat> the things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles. He was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of his followers were at the tomb early this morning and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing and they'd seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see and sure enough, his body was gone just as the women had said. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, prophets explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. You find it so hard to believe. The King James <laughs> puts that, oh fools, and slow of heart to believe. And it just kind of struck me, what in the world is that really meaning? They just didn't get it yet. They didn't get it. I know I've said this before, but somebody needs to hear it again this morning that's not been here another time when I've preached. The people of that day, and it was what was taught in the synagogues, they were taught all of the different scriptures about how there would be a Messiah who would come. And Messiah would overthrow whatever government was there. Messiah would come and, and he would bring about again and, and really reestablish the throne of King David. They would again be the sovereign nation, at least they figured it that way, of Israel. In other words, he would, he would set up an earthly kingdom. And he will one day. But we know now from prophecy that's the thousand year of millennial reign that's going to come after seven years of tribulation on this earth. But they didn't see all of that. They were just expecting this political messiah and they were expecting him to come get rid of the Roman Empire, get rid of all of this stuff that was going on, and just re reset up Israel the way that they wanted it to be. And man, everything would be just absolutely awesome. And, and we'd all get back to normal, and there wouldn't be any more lockdowns. And there, Oh, I kind of shifted gears there, didn't I? But you get the idea. And this is what they were looking for. That's why to them, they did not 
get it. They didn't comprehend all of this. And Jesus clearly said it even right there. The Messiah, the first thing it has to happen is God had to deal with the sin issue. You can't just go in and, well, okay, well, God's just going to take away all the bad and God's going to get rid of all of it because we can't, we can't, <laughs> we weren't ready for that. God had to deal with the sin first and that's why Jesus told them. Matter of fact, he clearly told them in the, in the Gospels, I'm going to be crucified and I'm going to rise on the third day and they didn't get it. The Bible says it was a mystery hidden in God. So, you know, they, they didn't understand. And then Jesus began to open the Old Testament Scriptures to these two disciples that were walking on the road to Emmaus. And I got to thinking about that and I started doing just a little bit of looking up. Did you know that there are really over 300 prophecies that had to be fulfilled by Messiah? And every one of them was fulfilled. The probability of even just a dozen or so being actually fulfilled is just out, out of sight. It's, it's just beyond counting. But to have all of them fulfilled, that's God. And I began just to look it up, and, and, and it just amazed me. I mean, I began to go through, and I was going, well, it just kind of struck me because it doesn't tell you there in... in Luke chapter 24, it just said Jesus began to share with them what the prophets had said, beginning with Moses. And in case you didn't know that, Moses wrote what's called the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And Jesus, uh, how'd you like it if it's Sunday morning? All right, y'all open your Bibles to the book of Genesis, and I'm going to start Genesis, and when we get through Revelation, we'll close this service. <clears throat> Might lose some of them. But I started looking some of these up. Just bear with me for just a minute. These aren't on the overhead, but if you want to jot a couple of things down, it, number, number one, in Genesis 3.15, Messiah would be born of a woman. In Genesis 12.3, Messiah would come from the line of Abraham. In Psalm 69.8, Messiah would be rejected by his people. In Zechariah 11.12, the Messiah would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. In Psalms 41.9, the Messiah would be betrayed. In Isaiah 53.7, he would be silent before his accusers. In Isaiah 50, verse 6, he would be spat upon and struck. In Isaiah 53, he'd be crucified. Matter of fact, Isaiah 53 actually gives a description of the crucifixion and everything that would happen that God would <coughs> be pleased with the sacrifice. Not that God enjoyed the fact that Jesus was crucified, but it satisfied what needed to happen for salvation to take place. It says in Psalm 69, 21 that he would be given vinegar to drink. <coughs> says in Psalms 22, 16, his hands and feet would be pierced. That the soldiers would gamble for his garment. In Psalms 34, 20, that none of his bones would be broken. In Zechariah 12, 10, <coughs> that they would pierce his side. In Isaiah 53, 9, he'd be buried with the rich. 
that he would be a sacrifice for sin. And in Psalm 16, 10, that he would be resurrected from the dead. You know, if I went through all 300 plus, we'd be here a long time. And it's just part of what Jesus shared with them. Now, I don't know about you, but can you imagine you're, you're walking along and maybe you meet somebody and, and you're at Walmart or whatever and as you begin just to walk the aisles and you, you're, you be, man, you know, I've been, I've been wondering about this scripture and they begin to share with you and just open it up. Could you imagine what that'd be like? I, I've just tried to put myself in that place where they're walking down this road it's only seven miles, and actually, if you're a fairly good walker, you can easily do a mile in, just say, 15 minutes or something like that. And as they walked, later on, they would say, didn't our heart burn within us as he opened up the Scripture? There's just something about the entrance of God's Word. You know, it's not hedge, it's knowledge. Remember Jesus when he was talking to the disciples one time and he said going through that whole thing of who do men say that I am and some of them said well some of them say you're this one or this prophet or another prophet that's come back to life and of course all of that's totally incorrect you know it's just wrong thinking and then Peter stood up and he said you're the Christ or the anointed one you're the Messiah the son of the living God. And Jesus told him, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, because flesh and blood, a human didn't reveal that to you, but my Father which is in heaven. You see, really the understanding of God's word comes by, by the Spirit of God. I mean, I, I know, I've said this before, my grandmother used to pay me to read the Bible. I'm sure it planted some seed, but I wasn't understanding really what I was reading. But there came one day a revelation that Wilson was a sinner and Wilson needed a Savior and that Jesus was that Savior. And if I would invite him in, he would change me. And he did. Somebody say amen. amen. And it's by the same kind of revelation that God begins to work in you and begins to work in me. It's by revelation. But without that revelation, guess what? We're kind of dull of hearing. Remember that? I just read that where it talks about... Oh, foolish. You find it so hard to believe. King James says you're dull of hearing. Dull of understanding. Remember back in Mark, the fourth chapter? We've talked about that. How that Jesus went through this whole parable of how that we can understand that the seed is God's word and when that word enters into our heart which in the parable that's the soil there's all kinds of different soil and if it's hard you've got to break up the hardness because sometimes our hearts are just a little bit harder than what they need to be and the disciples even after that I mean they heard Jesus do all that preaching they saw thousands of people fed from a kid's lunch and then Jesus said we're going to go to the other side of the lake and of course the devil fights you no matter what Jesus tells you he's going to do and so they began to go to the other side of the lake and guess what there came a storm up on that lake now 
the interesting thing is you, you think, I mean, these were men that lived in boats on that lake, several of them. Shouldn't have bothered them a bit. They'd seen storms on that lake. But I think it was a supernatural storm. Several times Satan tried to kill them with storms on that Sea of Galilee. Jesus didn't go say to them, we're going to go halfway across the lake and drown. He said, we're going to the other side. Some of you need to realize God's telling you, you're going to make it to the other side. The devil's the one saying you're going to drown halfway. Well, you missed a good place to say amen. But, that's... but you know, Jesus, after he calmed the storm and they got to the other side of the lake, you realize Jesus rebuked the disciples. God would be unfair to rebuke them unless they should have realized and said, no, this is just the devil. And in Jesus' name, our Lord, he, he's, you know, he's already given us authority. He's given us his word. We're going to the other side, devil. Just, I, I rebuke this storm. They could have calmed that storm or commanded it to be calmed. But their hearts were hardened. And that's what God's trying to get across to us. Because a lot of times we're dull of hearing. God said, no. You know, I'm going to take care of you no matter what happens in this world. And the more you see crazy things happening in this world, realize God's the one who's your protector, your peace, your provider. I kind of was asking the Lord, Lord, what does it mean to be dull or hard-hearted or slow to hear? Whichever phrase you want to put in there from whichever translation. To be dull or hard-hearted is when we're dominated by our flesh instead of by the Spirit of God. You know, we've been studying spirit, soul, and body on Wednesday nights. Can I give a plug for Wednesday nights? You need to be here on Wednesday. Amen. Uh, we have some powerful Bible study on Wednesday night. But to be slow to hear, to be dull of hearing, like Jesus was telling these men on the road to Emmaus, is to be dominated by our fleshly nature. The old man, instead of dominated by the Holy Spirit. You know, I won't get into all of this this morning. But in 1 Corinthians, in actually chapter 2 and chapter 3, Paul lists really three kinds of people. First off, there's the natural man, which means someone who's never received Jesus as Lord. They're just... They're fleshly. They're sinners. And I don't know why we get upset at sinners for sinning, because that's what they do. <laughs> Amen. And so they just live a, a sinful lifestyle. And in case you haven't been noticing, there's a lot of sinful lifestyle in this world. Then there's the spiritual man. And that's someone who's totally yielded to the Holy Spirit. Their minds renewed to the Word of God and they allow God to live in them. But there's a third kind. 
It's someone who has received Jesus as Lord and Savior, but Paul calls them the carnal man. Because instead of being dominated by the Spirit of God, they're dominated still by that fleshly nature. And that's what's slow to hear, dull of hearing, and hard-hearted. And the thing that God really began to stir in me is that, that God doesn't want us to be that way. Well, Pastor, how can I not be dull of heart or slow to believe? I'll give you one. But there's, there's two things. The first one is what we're seeing that takes place on that road to Emmaus. And I don't know if you really catch some of this sometimes. I know it took me a little while to really realize that. These two disciples were in the presence of Jesus. I'm going to let that soak in a second. How can I how can I not be dull of heart, hard hearted, slow to hear, slow to believe? I need to be in his presence. I need to be in his presence. There, there, there's something very, very special. And there's I guess a couple of the major ways that we're in the presence of the Lord. When you really boil it down into our life, one big way is, like Scripture says, not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Now, that's not fussing any of y'all. Somebody maybe listening to this later can go, hmm, well, I guess I wasn't in church that day. Now, sometimes there's good reasons, or maybe they're traveling, or they're somewhere else, and or whatever. And, and, and you know, your, your salvation's not established by your church attendance. But I've said a lot of times, you know, if, if it was, you, you know, church attendance like the way a lot of people, if your marriage was the same way your church attendance was, it would be kind of like some people that get home from their honeymoon and, well, you know, honey, I'll see you next year. Uh, that marriage might have a bit of a problem. Amen? And, you know, yeah, we need to assemble together. There's something about a corporate faith. There's something about being in where other people and, and being in an atmosphere of worship and being, you're, you're in the presence of God. There is a manifest presence. You know, God's omnipresent. He's everywhere all the time. But at the same time, there's a manifest glory. In the Old Testament, there's a Hebrew word called Shekinah. And that's where you would you'd read about you know, when, when God filled the, the Old Testament temple. That Shekinah glory was there. And it was so manifest and so visible and, and so prevalent that it literally, the priests couldn't even minister. I mean, people just fell prostrate on the ground. And, and they were just overcome by the presence of God. When those guards came to arrest Jesus and the Bible says they fell backward on the ground, they didn't all of a sudden get charismatic woozies, y'all. I mean, the presence of God hit them when Jesus just said, I am. He was saying the same thing it said in the book of Genesis when God said, I am that I am. And the presence of God filled that garden. I don't know how in the world they could arrest him after that was over with, but 
That's the carnal mind. But, you know, the point is we can be in His presence. We need to be in His presence. And there's something about being in church and being in God's presence. There's something about being around other believers. But it's not only there, it's also at home. There ought to be a time, even in our homes, when there's a, a, a private altar and a private time of prayer, a private time when you get alone with God and you get in His Word. And, and you, just, you know, it, 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 it shouldn't be just on Sunday morning that you hear some of God's Word. There used to be a real old saying, seven days without the Word makes one weak. W-E-A-K. Amen. We need to be in His presence. If I don't want to be where I'm, I'm, I'm controlled by my, my lower nature, or my fleshly nature, if I don't want to be where I'm, I'm dull of hearing and not able to receive from God, I, I need to be in His presence. You know, Jesus went on and there, there's, there's, there's something powerful in what he says. That whole story about how that he met them, they got to Emmaus, and then he prayed over the bread, broke the bread, and they recognized that it really was Jesus, and then he vanished. And I thought about something, man. There's something about being really in God's presence that'll energize you. Because after whatever their long day had been, and now it was the evening, and they had gotten there, and they were ready for an evening meal and just resting, they got so excited, they didn't walk back to Jerusalem. They ran seven miles back to Jerusalem. And when they got there, they got to the other disciples and then Jesus appeared in the midst of all of them and just re restated the same thing and began to share with them some of the word. And, and the Bible says that he opened all of their understanding to the word of God. So, I mean, they had they had church. And you can have church in this building. You can have church in your house. You can have church out. Doesn't matter. But... The point is, I mean, the whole story is just absolutely awesome. But there's a point and a conclusion that Jesus was working toward. There was somewhere Jesus was going. And it starts off in verse 44, and he said, When I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Now, this is all the rest of the disciples. Once they ran back to Jerusalem in verse 46. And he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name into all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. There's forgiveness of sin for all who repent. You are all witnesses of all these things. And now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. Luke is recording what we call the Great Commission. It's not the Great Suggestion. It's the Great Commission. All of this where Jesus opened the hearts of those men going to Emmaus. 
came back into Jerusalem, opened the, the minds and the hearts of all of those disciples. That wasn't just so they could be blessed and stay hidden. It was so they could take the word. They could take the gospel, the good news that Jesus forgives sin. That's the gospel, that Jesus forgives sin. And they were to take that literally to their hometown, to the region around them. For us, that'd be the state, to the nation, to the entire world. They were to take that out. It's called the Great Commission. But he also told them, now you stay right here until you're endued with power from on high. I just said one, one way that we can not be dull of hearing. In other words, we can be swift to hear. Is to be in the presence of God. To stay in his presence. To live where there is a presence of God surrounding us the other way. And it really is a companion with that because I don't think you can have one without the other. It's to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus did not just send out his disciples and say, okay, I've given you the word. There's going to be those that'll write down and they're going to have, you've got the, the written Old Testament. There's going to be a New Testament that's going to be written. You'll have that. Now go out and, and, and reach the world. He said, you need the power from on high. Y'all, that, that's not something that's a fringe doctrine. It's all the way through the New Testament. That we need to go out in the power of the Spirit. I've heard, I've heard people kind of in a way, I guess, arguing if they disagree with the infilling, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the miracle working power of God in the right current here and now. Saying that these things passed away. I've heard them argue that, well, you know, in their day when, when the disciples were, I mean, they had all that evilness of the Roman government and they had all of, of that demonic influence that was in the world because of the paganism that was surrounding the world back in those days. And they needed the power of the Holy Spirit. And really now we don't need that today. Uh, I, what world are you living in? We live in a world where I, I don't want to get up and try to eat breakfast without the Holy Ghost. I don't want to go out without God's Spirit. And I sure don't want to have to face the demons that we're facing in this world today without the anointing and the power of God. So here's my message to us this morning. It's real simple. We need God's presence and we need God's Spirit. We need to be... We need to be Filled with His Word so much that we're just saturated with it. I used to say it all the time, and I still think it's a good way. Anybody ever just you know made a sink full of, of sudsy water so that you could wash your dishes, and you know you either put a sponge in there or a dish rag, and you know you get all that suds in there, and what happens if you wring out that dish rag? Even if you really wring it out real good, 
You just get more suds out of it. You ought to be just so full of the word that whenever the devil rings you, all that comes out is the word. <laughs> Amen. And we need to be filled with his spirit. I want you to stand with me. We need his presence. We need his spirit. It's all combined. It's all part of the same. How we need him. If you would, I want you just to begin to pray. If you're saved this morning and you know it, I want you to begin just to, to pray right now. Because if you're in the sound of my voice and you do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior, you can't with a sure say, I know I'm born again. I know that God is my Savior. That I'm on my way to heaven. If you can't say that, you need to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior this morning. And with every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment, I want to ask you if that's you this morning. Because in a little bit, we're going to have people come forward and we're going to receive communion together. And as you come forward, we can pray right then and right there. That Jesus Christ come into your heart and into your life. And there's nothing wrong with having people come forward. Some people say, well, you know, I don't want to embarrass you. It's not embarrassing. Y'all, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We all have need of that Savior. We don't, you know, the devil's the one that tells people that, Oh, if I get forward, if I go forward in front of a bunch of people, they're just going, they're, they're going to think bad of me. Well, if they think bad of you, they need to get saved. But we're not going to think bad. We are going to shout and rejoice because the devil just lost. But if you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, I want you just to slip your hand up and say, Pastor, pray for me. That's me. I need, I need Jesus. I need salvation. I need redemption. I'm not really where I need to be with God. And I need salvation. Take just a moment. Anybody? Then the second part of that is what I want to encourage you with this morning. If you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit, you can receive Him this morning. How do I receive? Same way you got saved. You ask, and by faith you receive. You ask, and by faith you receive. And then you begin to walk it out. It's the same thing. We're going to receive communion and I'm going to have somebody go back and get those that are children unless they're already back in here. Okay. So I want to have Judy come up here with me and I'm going to let you be seated for a moment. And we're going to do things just a little bit different maybe than what you've done before. You know, one of the really neat benefits of the 
fairly small congregation. And while we're still small, we are growing. You know, we, you are the future Sunday school teachers. You are the future children's church workers, nursery workers, parking lot attendants, ushers, you name it. You're, you're, you're in. But while we're still little, in number, we can do things like this, where it's just a little bit more intimate. And we're going to call you up by family. And then we'll be calling if you're here today and don't have family with you. We're just going to pull you all together as the family of God. And singles will come up as a group. And uh, we're, we're just going to have that opportunity to minister communion to you and to pray with you individually. And that just, that's a blessing to us. So 